Luke chapter 24. We're going to read a couple verses. Now, as you're turning there, I'm really excited about this Sunday's Father's Day. We're going to, we got something real special for all the dads. And we just got them in. So usually I don't reveal the gifts ahead of time, but I really like this one. I thought this was, this was really cool. We got these Digicam uh, Bibles. That, you know, it's not, they're not camouflage. They're for the Marines. They call them Digicams. And so uh, a camouflage Bible. I like that because the Bible says, I will hide thy word in my heart that I might not. Perfect hidden Bible. You can't even see it, but it's there. So this is for all the dads, all the fathers. You come on out this Sunday. We're going to have a great, great time. And uh, I really like, you know, it's kind of like a handheld, like a little 22. Like, hey, I got you right there, you know. I like that. I don't know if I can fit it in my shirt pocket, but I'll fit it somewhere around. Amen. So for all the dads, it's pretty cool. Isn't it pretty cool? All the dads, right? I think it's pretty cool right here. I like this. Something more useful than a pocket knife. Spiritual knife right here. Luke chapter 24. And as you're turning there, we're going to continue on in this series here. You'll see verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you. In Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8 says, Then they remembered his words. Let's pray. Father, have your way. You are the greatest of all time. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. Goodbye, my son. My hopes and dreams travel with you. He'll be an outcast. I'll kill him. How? He'll be a god to them. What if a child dreamed of becoming something other than what society had intended? What if a child aspired to something greater? Son? You are my son. 
to yourself to find out what that reason is. How do you find someone who has spent a lifetime covering his tracks? For some, he was a guardian angel. For others, a ghost who never quite fit in. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Your son is safe. I will find him! My father believed that if the world found out who I really was, it'd reject me. He was convinced that the world wasn't ready. What do you think? What's the S stand for? It's not an S. On my world, it means hope. Well, here it is. Superman, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise, amen. So, here this evening, as you could tell, I want to end the part of the series that we had just a few weeks ago. And so here tonight, uh, as we had a great time a couple of weeks ago, about a month or so ago, and uh, I know that everybody thought uh, I was uh, Superman, actually it wasn't me, uh, it's been Clark Kent the whole time right here in the front row, and uh, we've had him here. I know he looks uh, real small and skinny, but don't let the glasses fool you. Uh, he has been super the whole time, so uh, you will uh, see in, uh, in just a little bit. But here today, somebody say Superman. Superman. Tell your neighbor, Superman. Superman. Now, here tonight... Superman. Now, what is Superman's real name? Do you guys remember it? Clark Kent, right? So I was looking him up. I looked up the powers of Superman. And for all you comic nerds out there uh, that are real like, oh, no, Superman does this. And uh, actually, even the other day, I was was cracking up because I couldn't believe that that people were really getting into it about Spider-Man and Superman and Batman. And uh, I I was driving in the... uh, in the BART, I wanted to turn around and go, you guys do understand that Batman is fake, right? I mean, they were so into it. They were like, oh, now Superman, he's real. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, you do understand they're a made-up, fictitious character, right? But people talk about them like they're real, like they met them face-to-face. Superman, he's my best friend. Okay. So for all you best friend comic nerds out there. I want to get this correct. Superman's powers are this. He has the power of agility. He has the power of stamina, intellect, healing. He has heat vision and ice breath. Wow. Some people got the power of breath, able to clear a room when they open their mouths. 
He has the power of leadership, longevity, unarmed combat. This is, all, this is a power. I said this before, just in case you guys don't think I'm making this up. He has the power of, to be an attractive male. He not only has strength, he has berserker strength. That's what it says. Look it up for yourself. Berserker strength. He has blast power, energy absorption. He has the power of flight, super hearing, super sight, and super speed. Also, he has the power of wind bursts. Hmm. Now, as I was watching a little bit of the Man of Steel, reading a little bit over the, the comic character of Superman, there's one man in the Bible that I feel parallels, or should I say, actually took the storyline of, off of, in the Bible, of a character, and that is the life of Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. He also was a mild-mannered man, walked among the people, yet nobody knew who he was. He also had powers. My Jesus got powers. My Lord got powers. So I just want to give you a few. These are just a few of the powers. We know that our Lord's all-powerful, but there's a few that actually have descriptions to it according to the Word of God. These are Jesus' powers. He has power over death, hell, and the grave. He has power over unclean spirits. His power is in heaven and on earth. He has the power to forgive sins, power for salvation. His power is eternal. Come on, somebody. He walked through walls even before Obi-Wan Kenobi. He walked on waters even before General Zod and Superman 2. When no one else would go to the store, Jesus brought 7-Eleven to the wedding banquet and turned water into wine. That's a powerful power right there. He was the first optometrist in the Bible, just ask blind Barnabas. He cured people by not even being in the room, just ask the centurion. He made a feast to feed thousands of hungry people out of a child's Lunchables. He even made a believer out of me and a believer out of you. That, my friend, is powerful. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? H.G. Wells said, I am, I am an historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in history of all time. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, said, remember, therefore, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not even the faith in Christ, though that may be an instrument, it is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand which thou art grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. 
Jesus is the center of it all. My friend, the greatest minds of our time have tried to figure out the mystery of this man that died upon a tree. They've tried to wrap their genius around the spectacle of a simple man who defied complex intelligence. Philosophers have built equations around him. Kings, both dark and moral, have built civilizations around his life's adventures. History itself is split in half by B.C. and A.D. There is no zero because Christ filled the void. Can I hear an amen? My friend, there is more going on in that name of Jesus than you and I can see with our natural eyes. There is more to a man than just a historical figure who predicted his own death and resurrected by scientific chance. This is Jesus, the Christ. He was always performing miracles and then asking his disciples questions. He was always testing the disciples' faith. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? A few years ago, I was watching a video, and I got inspired as I watched the video, and I shared it with a, a few people last year. If you were here at Easter, I shared that video. And uh, I, I, I forgot the name of the, the preacher, the pastor. He's passed away. Powerful preacher. But uh, the, the name of the video, if you want to go online, it's on YouTube. It's called, Do You Know Him? That's the name of the video. And the pastor just starts preaching and preaching and preaching. And as I was watching it, I go, man, I got inspired. I got inspired. You, you ever get inspired when you listen to certain preachers? You get inspired when you listen to certain people. I mean, there are some people that you, like, perspire when you hear them. You're like, oh, God, I don't know, get up out of here. And then there's some that are like, man, I get inspired. And so one night I was listening to them, and I listened to it over and over and over again, and I got inspired. So I, I sat down and began to write this out as far as who do you say that he is. Look at your neighbor and say, who do you say that he is? So I wrote a few things down of who he is. Are you guys ready? When I point at you, I want you to say he is. Are you ready? Everybody say. He is. We'll try that one more time. Ready? He is. All right, here we go. He is. The maker of heaven and earth. He is. The alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is. The son of God. He is. The God man. Our humble servant, the man of sorrows, the messenger of the covenant, the good shepherd, the prince of peace, the bread of life, the bright and morning star, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the wonderful counselor, the Lord of righteousness, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the hope of Israel, the living water, the God of recompense, the everlasting father. The precious cornerstone, the consuming fire. I'm going to give you guys a little break because I ain't done right here. Are you guys ready? We're still going. We're still going. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? The sanctifier, the purifier, the dragon slayer, the ancient of days, the anointed one, the sinless savior, the great healer, the gentle whisperer, our banner, the strong tower, the resurrection and the life. The Lamb of God, the friend of tax collectors and sinners, the great high priest, the only begotten son, the potter, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king eternal, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, the glorious, marvelous, generous, gracious, priceless, 
matchless, the humble servants. Whoo! He is coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords to judge the living and the dead. And my friend, it's very important that we understand that right at this moment, we have that time to choose who he is. So who do you say that he is? There's many things that he is. This is just a short list. There's so many things of who he is. And I've shared this before. I want you to know something. When you come here and we come into worship, I want to challenge you guys. When you come, service doesn't start when the music's over. Service starts when you come in and you just begin to worship him. Look at, we said all these things of who he is. I don't know about you, but I love it when my son comes up to me and goes, Daddy, you're the best. I go, I know. Yeah. Makes me feel good. Like, all right. I like that. See, when you come and you worship him, our father's like, all right, it's good. You can never say it enough. He is the God of recompense. He is marvelous. He is wonderful. He is the humble servant. He is, he is, he is, he is, he is our Savior. That's who Jesus is. Can I hear an amen? When I typed in who Jesus Christ is into the Google search engine, there were 238 million search results. Jesus is the greatest sought-after name in the world. Whether it is Googled or screamed at the top of the lungs, it's always about Jesus. Now, when we learn about Jesus here in the Bible, we learn about Jesus, how he was born to Mary and Joseph through a virgin birth. The Gospels, both in, uh, in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are dedicated to the life of Jesus Christ as a baby, a child, a rabbi, a healer, a martyr, and even the resurrected Savior. Jesus had a very overwhelming, awe-inspiring, and even magnificent life. We learn about Jesus the baby. We learn about Jesus the child prodigy. We learn about Jesus the rabbi. We even learn about Jesus the mild-mannered cavalier who can overthrow a government from just sitting on a donkey. We learn about Jesus and his arrest, his trial, his punishments, his crucifixion. But more importantly, we learn about his resurrection. Christ's ministry of three and a half years was more than 2,000 years of efforts from over 200,000 religions with over 2 billion people. One man did more than that. Now, the story of Jesus the man is beyond comparison to any other man. There are so many stories that I could focus on that would show Jesus the Christ and how he, he flipped the world upside down with just 12 men. I mean, he literally flipped tables upside down when the temple was out of order. Even maybe sometimes you kind of feel like flipping tables upside down in your own household. Can I hear an amen? Or maybe if we went from the story of the death of Jesus, that would be a great story to talk about. It's the signature of our faith. But not only the death, but the resurrection of our Savior would be ideal. But here this evening... I want you to turn to John chapter 21, and we're going to look at the third appearance of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. John chapter 21. There's so many stories that you could talk about with Jesus, but I felt like this one was something that really stood out to me, and I believe each and every one of us need to really absorb into our life, into our lips, 
and even into our feet. John chapter 21, verse 1. Are you there? If you're there, say amen. Come on, if you're there, say amen. I know you got a hangover, but it's okay. You can still say amen. All the ladies, say amen. All the men, say amen. All right, there we go. John 21, verse 1 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Where? Where at? Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. I like the author, how he's very detailed with this. This is the way it happened. Look at it. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard, Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is an awesome story. I love this story. Now, to put this whole thing into context really quickly, I'm going to try really fast to put it all together. And if you were here uh, just a little while ago, we had a, uh, a man by the name of Shane Willard. Were you guys here for him? If you, if you weren't here, go on to our podcast and check it out because it's a great message. He had a really, really good one. Uh, just as a matter of fact, really soon, I know a lot of people have been asking about, because we used to have the app Givelify, and we stopped with it. Well, we stopped with it because we're going to have our own app now, Victory Outreach Heart. You're going to be able to download the VO Heart app. On our app, you can do the giving. You have prayer requests, contact. Uh, you could see with the men's ministry, women's ministry, kids' ministry. Uh, you could give on there. I mean, there's so many different things that you're going to be able to do. Also, message boards, uh, different things that's just available. We're also going to be able to connect through uh, to other Victory Outreaches on our app. So the app will be available soon. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise for that. That's awesome. And so you'll be able to get it whether you have the iPhone or even the Android. All of them, all our messages will be on there. Every single message is on there. So you could check that one out. Now, 
couple of weeks ago, or excuse me, a couple of months ago, we had him. So I just want to briefly kind of give you what he gave us, like in a short nutshell, just so we can kind of understand it and get into context where we're going with this. Now, the disciples, how did a man get the disciples? Now, if you remember, at the beginning of the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, what does he do? He goes out to the banks of the shore, and that's where he gets his disciples. Now, what's very important about that is that when you get disciples, that's the only way that you're really considered a teacher or a rabbi. Now, every kid must be able to memorize the book of Leviticus by the age of six, right? That's very important. Memorize the, uh, the book of Leviticus now the, by the age of six. Now, what's also important about that is not only did they memorize it, but remember, they didn't have books back then. So what did they have to do? They had to remember it from their memorization of their father. So the father would walk around the house quoting the book of Leviticus until the son would memorize it. Once they got it, they got the memorization of the uh, book of Leviticus. They were able to go into the school and say, okay, now we're able to go to school. And then from there, you get into the school called the Bet Talmud. Somebody say Bet Talmud. Now, this is very important because every kid wanted to be a rabbi. Every kid, just like every kid wants to play for the 49ers. Man, I gave the 49er fans an opportunity right there. Okay, let's reverse it. Just like every kid wants to play for the Raiders. Wow. I was very disappointed to be a Niner fan right now in that very moment. It felt horrible. Man. It's, it's official. The Niner fans are on the hangover. All right. Just like every kid wanted to play for the Niners, play for the Raiders, play for the A's, the Giants, like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a professional ball player. Well, every kid, when they were six years old, when I grow up, I'm going to be a rabbi. So what did they do? You got to go to where the rabbis are. You want to be a ball player, go to the baseball field. You want to be a football player, go to the football field. You want to be a rabbi, go to the school of the rabbis. Pretty important to do. So as they're doing this, they go ahead and they get into the school called, oh, excuse me, the Bet Safar. And then they go there from 6 to 12. From 6 to 12, they get a Torah exam. After the Torah exam, then they go into the Bet Talmud. And that's where they have the disciples. That Bet Talmud means the school of disciples. When they're in there now at 12 years old, because remember, Jesus was 12 years old. And he was wowing the teachers with his questions. Wowing them, because that's what you do when you're 12 years old. you got to wow the teachers. In the Hebrew culture, it's not about having the right answer. It's about having the right question. Too many people got the right answers. We don't need people with the right answer. Everybody got an answer. Everybody got an opinion. We need the people with the right questions, because then you'll know where you're going. You'll be able to find out and see. So anyway, you'll be able to get the test correct. So anyways, at 12 years old, there they are. At every stage from 12 to 30 years old, there are five stages. And at every stage, they would have a test. And once they passed this test, they would go on to the next stage. But if they didn't pass the test, what would happen? They would say, I'm sorry, you've been disqualified. You must go back and earn a living at your family trade. Every stage of their uh, uh, the Bet's uh, uh, Talmud. After stage one, after stage two, after stage three, after stage four, and after stage five. Now, once you get to stage five, it's awesome. You are now a rabbi. You're ready to rock and roll. There you go. But what's very important, if you're going to be a rabbi, you got to have disciples. Now, also with the disciples, you must have authority. Somebody say authority. Now, authority was also very important because if you had a, a, a rabbi's authority, then you were able to teach your own yoke. Take upon me my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is. So that's very important. 
So now, Jesus, here he is. He is a rabbi, but he needs disciples. Now, in order to get disciples, what do most rabbis do? They go to the school, they get the little 12-year-olds, and they become their disciples. But Jesus, he's different. What does he do? He goes out, and he says, I'm going to get my disciples. But where does he start getting them? At the Sea of Galilee, at the banks of the shore. So what's different here about Jesus is that when he goes, he gets these disciples, he gets these men that, remember, when they were little kids, they always wanted to be a rabbi. Every Hebrew kid wanted to be a rabbi. But here he goes to these men along the shores. They've already been disqualified. All their life they've been disqualified. All their life they were told, eh, you'll never make it as the great ones. Because remember, that's the way the Sanhedrin were taught. That's the way the priests were taught. You are the great ones. You are the peasants. So what does Jesus do? Here he is. He's a rabbi. He goes out there and he says, I'm going to get my disciples as the peasants. Let me get those ones. I'm pretty sure they're pretty good. They know how to fish for fish, but let me teach them how to fish for men. So here's Jesus. He comes and he says, hey, Zach, follow me. Hey, Dewan, EPA, follow me. So all of a sudden, here's the man. Like, wow, follow me. This is awesome. Okay, that's the end of the Shane Willard story right there. So now, as I begin to read this, I looked and I said, wow, this is awesome. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he starts out at the beginning of the lake. He starts at the front of the lake. At the end of his ministry, he ends it at the lake. There's something important going on at a lake. There's something going on here that's real important that even this writer wants us to see. Three and a half years later, the death of their teacher takes place. Now, remember, this is very important. While the disciples were with Jesus, the whole time they were always looking for Jesus. Remember, he's the Messiah. And what did they want the Messiah to do? Overthrow the government. It kind of sounds like Christians today. Nothing's really changed. It's the truth, right? We get mad at Obama. We get mad at them. Quit getting mad at them. It's always been like that. Shut up already. You're not called to be the president of the United States. You're not called to be a politician. You're called to be a disciple of Christ. And so here, here's the disciples. Their whole life, they're all about overthrowing the government. Let's overthrow them. Let's overthrow them. And so for three and a half years, they're like, all right, I'm going to be with Jesus. This is going to work. Oh, man, he's going to overthrow. The, he's the true Messiah. He is God. He is. He's the son of God. Remember, Jesus, oh, no, you're God. Oh, no, you'll, you'll never do it. You're God. So all of a sudden... Their teacher, their Messiah, dies. Now, why is that important? Because to a disciple, to, or to these men, I should say, if you're God, gods don't die. Makes sense, right? Gods don't die. So you would think when they saw him on the cross, they're like, okay, you know what? Any second now, he's going to come off that cross, and he's going to overthrow the government. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. So it only stands to reason. Now, let's just put yourself in their shoes for a quick second. Put some sandals on. Act like you're fishing. Wouldn't it stand to reason that wouldn't you think for a brief second, maybe you might think maybe he's not the Messiah? Just for a brief second. Now, I see some of you right now, oh, no, he's Jesus. Well, of course, you know the end of the story. These guys are writing the story. 
while you're writing history, it's very hard to look back. Matter of fact, it's very hard to look forward. So they're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, maybe he's not. Maybe he couldn't be. Maybe he isn't. I guess I'll just go back and do what I was supposed to do all of my life. I was a fisherman. Let's go back and fish. That's the only thing they knew how to do. So they went right back to, go, to doing what they've always done. Now, what's very important about these scriptures here is that there's seven disciples mentioned, but only three are named. Simon Peter, Nathaniel, and Thomas. Now, what's important about naming these three guys? If you look at the scriptures, what's real important about naming these three is that these three are the ones who messed up the most. They messed up the most. Matter of fact, even sometimes when we say Peter, sometimes we still call him Simon. Because like Simon, you know, we even make fun of his name. Like Peter, he's the rock, but Simon, he has jelly bone, you know, jellyfish backbone. And, you know, because like, Peter, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've kind of messed up when Jesus, the Christ, calls you Satan. You've messed up a little bit. That's a pretty good mess up. That's just my opinion. Thomas, to this day, we still call him I mean, can you imagine? Like, hey, there goes crazy Toby. That's off the hook Benjamin. Like, can you imagine having an adjective to your name? Wherever you go, you got a jacket. It's cold outside, and you'll always have a jacket. It's hot outside, and you'll always have a jacket. That's what happened with Thomas. And then Nathaniel, he was the one who was stuck underneath the fig tree. These three men were named on purpose for a purpose. There was a reason why these three men were named. The writer himself is showing that when Christ comes back, he is coming back to those who are re being restored. He restores the ones who have even been messed up the most. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise for that. As we see these three men... Right here in this scripture, there are other men that are there, but the Bible even says, well, the sons of Zebedee and the other guys. But let me get these three guys. There's a reason why we're naming these guys. There's a reason why we're naming Christian. There's a reason why we're naming Donald and Richard. There's a reason why their names are being written in the history of the heart of the bay. Now, what's also significant here is that the Bible says that they were here at the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Seven disciples were fishing at this sea. When you study the Sea of Tiberias, it's actually the merging of seven rivers. Seven rivers come together. Now, actually, six come on top, but there's one underground river that flows. Six rivers that come down into one place, and there's an underwater spring that shoots 80-degree water which makes the water a great temperature, particularly at that time of the year, a great season or a, a great spot for fishing. So here we have seven disciples at the merging of seven rivers. There's always a reason for everything. This is the third time of Jesus' appearance after his resurrection. Now, the third time, because maybe after the first time, uh, maybe that wasn't him. The second time, did you hear about it? Uh, I don't really think so. But after the third time, you can't deny it. Now, also in the Hebrew culture, what's significant about the third is that every time when they would hear a story, remember there, there's a story about the Good Samaritan that got beaten down. First there was a priest, 
Then there was a Levite. See, the way that the Hebrews think is that, okay, I'm not the first guy. I'm not the second guy. I'm definitely the third guy. They always thought, they think like that. So here it is. Okay, the first time, no, it can't be. Second time, nah, I don't know about that. Third time, maybe it is. So the third appearance, here we see Jesus coming to them and showing himself specifically to them. Now, even at the 153 fish, somebody say 153. Now, anytime you read a number in the Bible, for those of you, come on, you homiletic and hermeneutic people, all that stuff, you guys know that in the Hebrew culture, right, there is, they don't really have uh, numbers, right? What do they have? Pictures. There's pictures that they have. That's the way their letters are. They have the pictures together. They put it all together, and that's how you come up with it and say, oh, okay. So 153. When you actually get that script or that uh, um, that number together, it comes out, and you will read uh, the picture "Sons of God." So when they're there fishing on their own, when they're fishers of fish, when they're doing their own thing, they can't get anything. But the moment they listen to their master, they're able to get their calling and catch it. The moment they understand, they say, listen, I'm tired of doing, thing my, doing things my way. I need to do it his way. All of a sudden, they become the sons of God. Look at your neighbor and say, who do you say that he is? Now, here we see at the beginning of the scriptures and the gospels, what's very significant is that Jesus starts out his ministry getting disqualified guys and qualifying them. And at the end of the gospel, he's getting disqualified guys and he's requalifying them. So he starts it out with these insignificant peasants and all of a sudden, the men that he worked with, they went out there, they didn't want to listen to 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 him anymore. All of a sudden, here he is, he's bringing them together. Now what's also significant, what I like about this portion of scripture is that here we see Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is there and he's cooking breakfast. I like this right here. This is my favorite part. Jesus cooked breakfast. See, Jesus was the best cook ever. Now you're probably saying, well, well how did he cook? What was it? Did he have the, did he have the was it butter? What, how did he have it right there? Was it barbecue? What was, what was Jesus' recipe? I want to know his recipe. Well, I'm about to give you his recipe right now. But the thing about the recipe that you're about to hear, it's not so much about the recipe of the fish as it is about the recipe for Peter because that's very important. A few days or even a week prior, all of a sudden, here's Jesus. He's cooking. He's got fire. He's got the stuff right here. When was the last time Peter was over fire? He was denying him. That was the last time. So all of a sudden... Remember, it's fresh in his mind. It's fresh in his mind. He comes up to the banks of the shore. Here's somebody cooking dinner. The last time he saw a fire like that, he was denying Jesus. All of a sudden, he's in front of a fire, and who's there? The one he denied. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody stabs me in the back, I get a little upset. Maybe I'm the only one. Okay, it's just me. Nobody else is copping to it. I'll take it. I got, that kind of gets you a little upset, right? You're like, hey, uh, uh, I'm not one to say anything, but so-and-so, they were talking about you. Now, 
Right away, you go like, oh, man. They said, what? They said, oh. And then all of a sudden, like this, I don't know what it is, but like the street comes out, and we go, say that to my face, man. How come they don't say that to my face, man? I say, yeah, that's right. They don't want to say it to my face, man. Well, of course not. Your face is all messed up right now. You know, they're going to say it to your face. Say it to my face. So here's Peter, just a few days or even a week prior, denied Jesus in front of a fire. No, I don't know him. I never did that. I never... So here's Jesus cooking in front of a fire. He says, hey, Peter, come here. Let's have some breakfast. Let's chill together. Come on, let's talk. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I got caught talking behind somebody's back and they brought it before me, wouldn't you be sweating? <laughs> now, not just anybody. It was his master, his leader. Now, Let's be honest. When you get caught, don't you start, your heart starts pumping? Okay, you've never been caught before, right? Yeah, yeah right. Let me check your jail record, right? ladies. <laughs> when you get caught, you're like, oh, man. Oh, like, you start thinking of stories, right? Like, oh, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Okay, no, I'm going to make that. Okay, it wasn't me. It was, there was a guy that looked like me. He had a beard just like me. It wasn't me. It wasn't Nathaniel. Yeah, okay, it wasn't Nathaniel. So the little girl, she saw Nathaniel. It wasn't me. Okay, how am I going to tell this to Jesus? I, and your mind starts going. You start having to make up stories. You start sweating. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? You got to start making up story. And then on top of that story, you got to make up another story because when you lie, you got to cover it up with a better lie. This is the way that it is. So all of a sudden, here's Jesus. He sees Peter, and he brings him out. And he says, Peter, come on over here. Now, what's significant here about Peter is that also the Bible says that he had his cloak on. Now, his cloak was his identity. It was who he was. If you are going to be a fisherman, you have to have an identity. If you're going to be a beggar, you have to have an identity. If you are going to be anybody of certain uh, significance, uh, of a tax collector, you have to have an identity. And that's what the cloak signified. So here's Peter. He's got his cloak on. And all of a sudden, he realizes, oh, my gosh. I lost my identity in who I was, not in who Christ called me to be. See, what's very important, even many times, listen to me. I'm coming to a close right here. This is the whole message right here. Many times, many of us, we get so caught up in what we can do on our own strength that we forget about what God has called us to do. We figure, oh, it's a, well, look at what I can do. Look at what I, I can do this. And then all of a sudden we get saved. Hallelujah, glory to God. We say, oh, okay, Jesus, and we take it right off. But the moment it gets too hard and we figure Christ is not there with me anymore. Christ left me. He died on that cross. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Maybe he hasn't been providing all my needs. Maybe he's not the one who he said he was going to be. I know I'm going to put my identity back on. I'm going to go right back to drinking. I'm going to go right back to fornicating go right back to messing around. Nobody cares about me anyways. Go right back to your own identity, doing your own thing. He was my Savior at one time, but I didn't see him get off that cross like I thought he was going to do. I didn't see him help me. I asked him for a big car. He didn't give me a big car. I told him to be my provider, and he didn't give me a big house. I'm going to go right back to my own identity. That's what happened with Peter. 
Peter said, I'm going right back. And then all of a sudden, here he comes face to face with the one who he had just denied. The one that he had just stabbed in the back once, twice. I mean, you think the, the, the 39 lashes hurt Jesus? No. Peter denying him, I, that would kind of hurt a little bit more. Remember when you're a, you're a little kid, you're about 9, 10 years old, and you get to that age where you're like, you know, if your parents spank you, you want them to because you don't want them to ground you anymore. You guys remember that age, right? Where you're like, no, you know, I'm 11. No, 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 spank me, spank me, just spank me, you know, spank me because don't take away my Nintendo or, you know, don't take away my, I want to go out with my friends. I want to do that, right? Because there's like a certain thing because it's almost like you can hit me all you want. Like, fine, go ahead. Ow, ooh, ow, that hurts. Oh, big deal. But you know what hurts even more when people talk about you? People just lie. not only talk about you, they lie about you. Now, there's one thing to talk about somebody, but there's another thing to lie about somebody. Jesus was lied about. He was lied about. Now, this is the thing. Not only was he lied about, he found the guy who lied about him. Oh, Let's be honest. Some of you guys right now, I can just see your, fi- your fist clenching right now. Like, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't right now. I see some of you ladies right now grabbing in your purse, getting that knife right now. They're like, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Uh, 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 uh. Don't you lie about my husband. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm the only one that lies about my husband. Nobody else lies about him but me. Hmm. <sighs> Here's Jesus. Found the guy who lied about him. And what's he doing? This is what I like. This is my favorite part right here. So he comes. Here's Jesus. He's kicking it there, waiting for them, seeing them fishing. He's watching them fish. And he's chilling on the beach. And he's there just chilling, kicking back. Can you imagine being on the beach early in the morning? Some of you fishermen, right? That's the best time to go, right? Early in the morning. So they're out there early in the morning, and he sees that they ain't caught nothing. As my father used to say, nuna tuna. Literally, no tuna. They caught nothing. And here's Jesus. He's out there chilling. Bam. Ooh. He's got his barbecue pit going right there. Yeah, it's good stuff. He's there waiting. Waiting for Peter. Peter comes in. Says, hey, Peter. Here goes Peter. I'm pretty sure his mouth just hit the floor. Because the Bible says they didn't ask him who he was. They knew it. They heard his voice. Oh, my God. That, that's, that's him. That's the guy that I thought was going to do what he said he was going to do, but he didn't do it. Now what do I do? I got to make him a story because I denied him. But here's Jesus. This is the best part. This is where Jesus' superpowers comes to fruition like never before. Third appearance. You can't deny it now. You've heard my voice. For years you heard my voice, disciple. You still walked away. It's perfectly fine. But all of a sudden, here's Jesus, true superpowers. Stands there and says, hey, Peter, 
Get over here. Can you imagine cooking breakfast for the one person that denied you and lied about you and actually even in front of you messed up, in front of everybody the most? At the time when Jesus needed him the most, he took off. There might be some friends of yours that denied you, left you hanging when you needed them the most. Guess what Jesus did? Made them breakfast. The person that actually hated them, that actually showed it. I mean, everybody says, you know, there's certain people in the Bible that says they hated Jesus. This guy actually showed the hatred by doing just that. Oh, no, I believe in Jesus. Then you're not following him. Where are you at? Where are you going? What are you doing? I don't, I don't know him anyways. Eh, whatever. I've never heard of him. Never heard of the man. Are you sure? You sound just like him. Ah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I was just here. Whatever. I don't know the guy. Peter. Peter. Remember, he's still wrapped up in his own identity. Finally, he takes it off. says, what was I thinking? What was I doing? See, the superpower of Jesus that was so great about him is that he showed not just the power of forgiveness with words, but he showed the power of forgiveness with actions. See, some of us here today, we talk about, I'm a follower of Christ. I love Christ. Yeah, I'm sure you love Christ, but if you really truly love him, will you follow his footsteps literally? He cooked breakfast for the guy that denied him. Listen to me. I know that you got a lot of people that say, oh, man, I got haters. I got haters. Jesus had haters. You know what he did? He cooked breakfast for them. He cooked breakfast for the haters. I trip out when I see people all the time, you know, I love haters. Shut up. No, you don't. Let's be honest. Nobody loves haters. But there's one person in the Bible that actually truly loved him. He actually did it. He says, man, the guys that I poured my life into the most left me. Now, you would think, fine, I'm going to go get some new friends then. Right? If we're, if we're natural, you know, human beings, I'm going to go get some other guy. I'm going to get some new ones. He goes, nope. Come on over here. Let's cook some breakfast. See, this is the conclusion of the whole message. What's very important about you and I, the Bible says that you and I are the salt of the earth, the light of the earth. That if we're going to be true Christians, true followers of Christ, then we got to look like Christ. we got to act like Christ. And listen to me, we got to cook like Christ. See, the cooking of Christ had nothing to do with what was on the grill. It had to do with what was on the lake. These were the men that he was trying to make fishers of men, not fishers of fish, fishers of men. Listen to me. Some of you here this, this evening, if you catch anything, you got to catch the forgiveness of God. Not just the forgiveness of God, but the action of forgiveness. We, we read about just a little earlier who he is. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Lord. He is the Lion. But he also is the forgiver of sins. Do you have the power to forgive your neighbor? Listen to me. Do you have the power to forgive your dad? See, now we're getting to it. Now we're getting down to something. 
I don't know, my dad's not here. I don't care less about my dad. But I love Jesus. Uh, my mom, she did this to me. I don't know, if you only knew my mom, you understand what my mom put me through. The, but I love Jesus. It's exactly what Peter did. I'm here with you, Jesus. I'm here with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No, I don't do that stuff. I mean, I'll follow him, but just not all the way follow him. I'll be there with him, but just not all the way. See the significance of this story? See how powerful it is? See, this is the hope that our city is looking for. Our city is looking for the hope in you. Our city is looking for the forgiveness in you. Our city, our family, our community is looking for superheroes like you. Each and every one of us. Listen, we represent the light of Christ to Hayward. We represent the light of Christ to Fremont, to the Bay Area. And wherever you go, it's very important that you and I understand that we are the cooks of this city. We are the ones who forgive those in this city. What we represent of who we are, I liked earlier when you saw that, the, the video here. And she said, what does that stand for? He says, well, that's an S. No, that's not an S. So where I come from stands for hope. Where I come from stands for forgiveness. See, so that when people see us, they go, wow, look at that. They say, hey, Superman. Look at that guy. Look at that girl. Oh, man, that's... That's Superman right there. You know, that's just a guy from Victory Outreach. Man, look, look at him right there. Oh, look, look, look at him, man. Look, look at that guy. He's, he's the drummer for Victory Outreach. You know, that's, that's, that's Tyrone right there. That's a, that's a Superman right there. Look, look at him right there. Look at that guy right there. It's awesome right there. Look at these guys. Look at the girl. Look at that guy. Look at, to look at Toby. Look, he's a pastor right there. No, that's, that's Superman right there. That's, that's hope right there. Look, look how awesome he is right there. Look at her right there. Look at her. Look at Sandra. Look at her. She got, she got it as well. Look how awesome she looks. Look at that. How awesome. Powerful right there. Now, come on, stand up. Stand up. You got to do that. Come on, Hesu. Stand up right there. Diamond, stand up. If you guys got it right there, look how awesome they are. Look at Moby. Look at, look at him right there. Look at Russell. I see that in him. Look at that right there. He's got the hope. Awesome right there. Awesome man. See, so that, listen, whenever people see you, they shouldn't just see Greg. They shouldn't just see Sandra. They shouldn't just see Tori or Jane. They should see hope. Now, wherever you go, they say, man, that's a good cook right there. They cook forgiveness. I, I love going over her house because whenever I go over her house, I don't feel put into a guilt trip. I feel forgiven. Man, whenever I go over his house, I don't get all this gossip. I feel grace. I feel mercy. I feel love. The Bible says these three still remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, hey, the greatest thing you should do is love your neighbor. Listen to me here tonight. If there's anything that you should do as a superhero, that I should do as a superhero, is learn how to cook some forgiveness. Learn how to cook some grace. Learn how to cook some mercy. You know what mercy is? You know, you know how awesome mercy is? We even have a game called that. Mercy. 
You ever played it when you were a kid? Right? I used to play it all the time. Stephanie, Val, come here. Let's play Mercy. Right? And you go, you know, oh! Say it, say it, say it. Right? And the pride, prideful ones, prideful ones, they don't say it. They don't say it. Because it's not about them saying it. It's about you giving it. See, people are always, I'm going to watch, watch, man. They're gonna, I'm going to show how, right, how wrong they are. Watch, I'm going to show you're wrong. Come on, say you're wrong. It's not about showing them wrong. It's about giving them mercy. Far too often, we're like, well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. God, show them. Come on, show, show them. Then you sound just like Peter did when he wanted Jesus. Overthrow the government. Come on, do it, do it, do it. It's not about proving yourself right. It's about showing the love and mercy of God. Some of you here tonight, you need to show some mercy to some people who don't deserve it. It's not about giving it to those who deserve it. Because then you'll never see it. Light amongst light. You'll ne- you can't see light in a bright place. You'll only find light where darkness resides. Some of you here tonight, I know your family, they got some dark places. I know your friends, I know your coworkers, your job, got some dark places. They need the light of hope and mercy. Some of you got to go show up to work tomorrow. You need to show up with a barbecue pit. And your boss is like, what are you doing? Say, Don't worry about it. I'm going to cook for everybody here in this place. Now, some of you maybe figuratively you could do that. And some of you literally need to do that. Because remember, this is not a parable. He literally cooked. Literal. He went out there and he cooked. Some of you, Dwan, I'm sure this, you're a great cook, bro. I was eating them chicken, bro. Mm, felt like I was in Louisiana. <laughs> it might be, Dwan, there's a reason why you're such a good cook. Could be. Maybe there's a lot of people that need that good cooking. Not chicken, forgiveness. Could be. A lot of people did you wrong. A lot of people messed you up. I know. I heard your testimony. Matter of fact, you came here because they wanted to kill you, right? I know. You came over here to get away from the people that were trying to stab you. But when you catch this, you really get this. The very ones who denied Jesus cook for them. You got to get to that place, Duan, where one day you're going to go back to the banks of the shore of EPA and you're going to have a spread. You're going to cook for them all. And all of a sudden, the ones that tried to kill you are going to be eating the food of forgiveness that you made. It's the power of God, bro. It's the power of God. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Spirit of God moving and ministering. Listen, I know here tonight, I, I wanted to get this message across once again. That many of us could and should understand that Christ, if He lives in us, that He will show through us. Listen, I know some of you, you've been done wrong. Many people have done you wrong. Maybe some of you, you you haven't forgiven your mom yet. And then you're starting to see that curse trickle down 
to your son or to your daughter. And you're figuring, why is this happening again? I thought I was such a good mom. Some of you, the Bible says you reap what you sow. That's a difficult scripture to accept. But some of you here now, maybe you might have sown bad things to your mom when you were a kid or bad things to your father when you were a kid. You have the opportunity right here, right now to cook for your mom and cook for your dad. Now, even to those of you who your mom is not around or your dad is not around, you don't have that opportunity in the literal sense. You can figuratively find a father figure or a mother figure. Find somebody. This is a message that challenges you to actually do something and not just hear something. If you really truly want to be a superhero for Christ, then you got to show your superpowers of forgiveness. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as the Spirit of God is moving and ministering, I want to make that call out. That altar call. For some of you that you need that encouragement to go cook for somebody. Now maybe not figure or literally. Maybe you can't cook. Some of you say, well, I'm not that great of a cook. I'm, I don't know if I can go do that. But maybe some of you, you should go out there and go buy somebody dinner. Just over dinner. And just forgive them. That's it. Just forgive them. Forgive the one that stabbed you in the back. Forgive the one that denied you. Forgive the one that left you hanging. Forgive the one that you know doesn't like you at all. I can't see them face to face. There's no way, man. When I see her, I, I cringe. When I see him, I get my, my blood boils. And yet here is Christ. Boiling water. Cooking dinner. Cooking breakfast, excuse me for the very ones who hated him. If you want to break that curse within your family, mom, you want to break that curse within your family, dad, then it's never too late. It's never too late. Don't wait and say, I'm a, you see, we always think it's, I'm going to parent different. No. The answer's been there the whole time. You just got to forgive your parent. Forgive your mom. Forgive your dad. I don't know why I keep harping on family right now, but I feel the spirit just kind of moving towards that right now. And some of you, you want to break a family curse? This is how you do it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take just a few more moments, and I'm going to make an altar call, and I'm going to have AJ sing a song. As he sings this song, if you feel in your spirit, and you say, you know what, man, I, I got to go cook for somebody. I, I, you, don't have to, you don't have to tell us. You don't have to tell me. Tell God. Or maybe you just got to go buy somebody dinner. Go out there. But in that, it's not the food. It's not about the fish. It's about coming face to face with the one who you know that you wish I would never see again. God says, nope. I want you to see them. And I want you to forgive them then watch what I'm going to do. Peter is considered one of the strongest disciples to this day. 
because of all of a sudden, some of you, maybe you need to forgive your wife. You haven't forgiven your wife. You haven't forgiven your husband. So you, you just got to forgive them. You see them face to face, and every time you're like, oh, I just, you want to get into an argument. Some of you, if you want to stop the arguments, start forgiving. Start forgiving. And maybe some of you, I don't even know, maybe your past marriages you need to forgive. Some of you in your past, I know you got remarried, things have come again, and you figured if I got remarried, I would start renewed. Yes, that is true. However, there are things that still come up, and you're wondering, why does it keep coming up? Maybe some of you, you need to forgive your ex. You may not have to go cook for them, but you need to forgive them. You need to literally forgive them. It's not your current wife's fault, and it's not your current husband's fault. Stop doing that. you got to forgive them. Some of you, there's somebody that's passed away that you haven't forgiven yet. You need to forgive them. You'll ne- you won't see them again face-to-face until you get to heaven, but forgive them now. Forgive them right now. With every head bowed on every head closed, as AJ begins to sing this song, if that's you here tonight and you say, you know what, there's somebody that I just got to cook, maybe literally or phys- uh, figuratively, nobody knows who they are, but I got to do that. I got to forgive somebody. I want you to slip out of your seat right now. I want you to come to this altar, and I want you to say, God, forgive me.